Alrighty, welcome to Romero Records Podcast. Today we have on Lindsay Pender. How's it going, Lindsay? Good, good. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Yeah. So uh, funny, I actually um, was looking at my schedule yeah. and uh, I asked Rachel, because Rachel books on my podcast. She's yeah. like my podcast manager. And I was like, Rachel, um, did you send me like a like a media kit or something for, for Lindsay? And she was like, yeah, I mean, she puts it in the calendar. And then I was like, how'd you book her? Because there's a website that we use called Podmatch, and we'll oh. do those for like virtual podcasts. And, uh, or usually like the in-person podcast that we like have people here, um, she'll either find the people on Instagram or if like there was an article that she found oh, or whatever. Okay. And we did, we couldn't even remember how we found it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, Oh no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I ended up, I think I just Googled you and yeah. I, and I found some stuff from like Facebook from the works yes. and whatnot. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Go ahead and explain yeah. like um, all the stuff you're involved with around the area and uh, the stuff that you've done. Yes. Okay. So I think y'all probably found me through the Memphis Flyer article. I was in um, 20 Under 30, 2022, 2022 group. Um, I am a research and evaluation specialist at a nonprofit in Memphis called The Work Sync. Um, we do a lot of work with affordable housing. Um, that's our bread and butter, as we like to say. Um, it's primarily what we've done for the majority of the 20-plus years that we've been in operation. In addition to that, we do a lot of work with food access, um, pedestrian safety and infrastructure, so advocating for bike lanes, um, active transportation improvements. We have a bicycle, a community bicycle ride that we operate twice a year in April and October. Um, we have a farmer's market that we operate in the summertime. We do a, a bunch of different things. Um, we, In addition to affordable housing, we have a small dollar mortgage loan fund as well that we operate. So we do quite a lot. Um, at the works, I do research and evaluation, um, but I work at a nonprofit. So one of my coworkers, he likes to say, like, if you work at a nonprofit, you're a generalist. So mm. even though you may have a title, you do a lot of things. Um, so I, I do a lot of data gathering. I also do pro program management and project management, and I do a lot of grant writing as well. Um, and community engagement work for some of our programs. So I, I do a bunch of different things. Um, we do a lot of work in South Memphis. Historically, that's where we've been focused. But um, in the past five years, we've reached out. We've expanded to North Memphis and Klondike, as well as Fraser, Raleigh as well. We have um, a new affordable housing unit that came online last year. So we do a lot of a lot of great things. I'm really lucky and grateful that I'm able to work with the works. Um, I've been able to learn a lot, and I am a native Memphian, so I'm always happy to be a part of work that's occurring and going on in my my community and my hometown. So it's it's really cool. So I'm not from here. Yeah, um, I'm from Alabama. Okay, and I moved here in April of 2019. Okay, so. Everything you're saying sounds cool to me yes. because I'm actually from like a really small town and um, it's about like 6,000 people. It's Aniana, Alabama. Wow. But um, I love the idea of progression. Like yes. I'm, I'm huge on like, all right, cool. This is where we're at, uh, where we used to be is awesome, but what can we do to move forward? Yes. And I'm always a let's move forward type of person. Yes. So... Um, Everything you were saying, you know, like the bike lanes and, and all the events, like, sounds cool to me. Yeah. So what are, 
I guess, what's the driving force? Like, what's what's the point of the works? Like, why why did this come about? Yes. Okay. So our so our our mission statement is restore, rebuild, renew. Um, our work sort of started um, with just like affordable housing in general. In Memphis, my boss likes to like a lot of times she points out the fact that we have a huge affordable housing crisis. Like that was the, the original point. Of yes. The okay. Yes. So so our our foundation is affordable housing, and from there we've expanded into food access. Um, just overall community engagement, health and wellness, just because we have a holistic approach in that we understand that you can't just address the housing factor um, without addressing education or without addressing food access or food security. A lot of those things, especially for people who live um, in 38106 and other communities that have been historically disadvantaged, a lot of times it's not just an affordable housing issue, but it's also a food insecurity issue or it's a transportation issue too. A lot of those things are compounding factors and they can affect the quality of life. Um, so while we started with affordable housing, because we have a huge housing crisis in Memphis and in the United States overall, we've expanded just because we know that we can't just address one need um, and, 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 and assume or, or expect to fix, you know, somebody's quality of life. It's really important to just sort of address as much as you can when you can. So our work started with affordable housing. From there, we did um, an intensive neighborhood plan. We like to call it SOMI RAP. Um, it stands for South Memphis Revitalization Action Plan. We gathered a lot of community members, took in a lot of feedback, took a lot of data, completed surveys, interviews, all of that. And that's really what spurred our other projects. Food access um, was a big piece of that. Like People pointed out the fact that South Memphis was a food desert. And from our office, which is located in South Memphis, I think the closest grocery stores are both like three plus miles away, which is, I think, about like a, a 30 minute bike ride to both of the grocery stores. Dear God. Yes. I, I, can't, I, can't, <laughs> I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's plus it's like plus 45 minutes if you're on the bus. So if you're considering like bus stops and whatnot, it's plus 45 minutes to get to the grocery store and get back home. Um, so, so that's where the food access portion came in about 10 years ago, plus 10 years ago, we started the South Memphis Farmer's Market, which is at the intersection of, uh, Mississippi Boulevard and South Parkway. And that's where we host our farmer's market, our outdoor market, but also like our cooking education classes. Um, and from there we've expanded to health and wellness. Um, South Memphis is adjacent to downtown. It's close to downtown. It's close to Cooper Young, lots of different areas. Um, and because of our location, we have um, the ability to utilize alternative modes of transportation. Like you can actually bike to downtown from our office and we do it all the time. It's like a 20 minute bike ride. Mm. Um, in addition to that, about a third of families in South Memphis don't have access to, to cars. So that's also why we advocate for alternative forms of transportation. That's why we advocate for safer streets. That's why we host community bike rides to show people that like you, hey, you can actually utilize a bike to get downtown. You can use a bike as an alternative form of transportation. Um, and, and in addition to that, it, you know, you can also get your body working. So that's why we call it active transportation. Mm. Um, so our, our focus, our, our focus in our work is affordable housing because housing is so important. 
Um, but we do understand the importance of addressing other social determinants of health. That's what they like to call it in public health. Other things that affect somebody's quality of life and their ability to just live a, a whole happy life. Like you, you know, you can't just try to fix one thing without addressing the other things that really impact your health, your wellness, your safety. Um, and so, so we take that to heart in our programs. Um, they, they show that and they try to address as much as they can when it comes to quality of life and just whole families. Yeah, I had on um, Zoe Duran. Do you know who that is? I don't. Um, if she had the money, she would be humanitarian of the uh, year. Um, Zoe's awesome. Yeah. And everybody who knows her would say the same. But um, we were talking about that. Yeah. We were talking about how, like, um, you know, you don't find a Whole Foods in yes. – you know, certain areas, you know, yes. in the hood, you're not yes. going to find a Whole Foods exactly. or, or places that have that kind of food. And I had on, um, Elias Daniels and me and him were talking about, um, uh, it was so weird. Like he, <laughs> we were talking about foods that you wouldn't find in certain areas. Yes. And he was like, yeah, kids that grow up in bad areas wouldn't, um, d probably don't even know what asparagus and cauliflower yeah. are. Yeah. And those are like the, the weird thing was, I never said anything, mm -hmm. but those were the two vegetables I had in mind. <laughs> and I was like, how awkward is that? That he that was those the same two things that he just said. But um Yeah, I mean yeah, it's, that's that's it's true. Crazy. That's true. And that's something that we do encounter in our like cooking classes. Like part of um the class, a component of the class is of course like cooking education, but also just like that exposure component, you know teaching people and then introducing people and kids to fruits and vegetables that they've never tried, but also, you know, letting them know, hey, this is how you can cook it, or you can saute it this way, or pair it with this, um, like eggplant parmesan, like that's one of the recipes I can think of, like an easy substitute mm. for, you know, chicken, something that's healthier, it can, it, it's also tasty, so yeah, that that's, that's so true. Um, you don't see stores like Whole Foods yeah. in in the hood, like in South Memphis or or North Memphis or um, Frazier. And and my my boss, she's really amazing, super inspiring. And she did work with the Guardian, in which like they were looking at the food deserts in Memphis. Like you can go to Poplar in East Memphis, and you can find two Kroger's and a Whole Foods and a Sprouts, you know, just like all in this one section. But in, in, in South Memphis, you have two grocery, sports, two grocery stores within this huge span of area mm -hmm. and they're catering to, to all the residents. So it's like, think about people who, you know, don't have cars or what if you're, you're, primary form of transportation is a bus, you know, thinking about how you would have to coordinate that sort of trip. It's, it's, it's just a lot. And, and for a lot of us, it's not something that we regularly have to think about, mm -hmm. but for a lot of people in this city, like this is their lived experience. This is their day to day. So it, it's, it's really, it's a really important work. And I'm happy that people are bringing attention to it and just sort of thinking about the experiences of different people within the city. So you're young, but you're not that young. How do you, um, I guess, how do you relate to the history of Memphis, and does it does it help or hurt your your I guess your direction or your mindset when it comes to like, oh, we're helping South Memphis, you know, because that means nothing to me because I'm not mm -hmm. from here. Yeah. So like, North and South Memphis, it's it's irrelevant. It's just two directions yeah. <laughs> to me. So does you know, knowing the history of Memphis and be like, oh, yeah, it's a good thing we're helping South Memphis because dot, 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 you know, does that affect you? 
Well, for me, it, it does affect me just because, so I'm a Memphis native, first off, so I've been here majority of my life. Um, I went away to Kentucky for undergrad, came back for grad school at the University of Memphis, but I've spent a lot of time in South Memphis. Um, I've a lot of my family is primarily from South Memphis. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my family members still live there. I I grew up in South Memphis. It was it was my second home. Like my grandmother, you know, she still stays there and that's like a, a pivotal part, like one of those like core memories that I have in my head is just like spending time in South Memphis with my family members. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like with with my grandmother and whatnot. So for me, I relate to this work Partially, well, not partially, primarily from that aspect. Um, while, you know, I am young or I may not traditionally look like uh, what a community member in South Memphis looks like, or I may not have those same sort of experiences because of different privileges I've had in my life. The people that I'm fortunate to work with, they feel like my family members. Mm. They remind me of my family members. Um, There's a lot of nostalgia, too, for me being able to do work in an area that I've been able to spend time in. Um, So these are streets that I'm familiar with, streets that I've, you know, traversed and and I've been on and drove on my entire life. Um, So it feels almost like a full circle moment in that now that I'm an adult, I am fortunate to work in the area that I spent so much time in. Um, so the work is really, really close to my heart because it has like that sort of familial connection, um, but also because it has that sort of nostalgia because I've, I've had so many different experiences in South Memphis, going to church in South Memphis, spending time with my family members and my granny. Um, so, so there's that aspect as far as like the history of South Memphis overall. I think it's it's such a beautiful place. It's um, primarily black um, right now, and it has been a, a I would say a, a neighborhood that has had a strong black community for a while. Um, it has a lot of ties to soul music, of course, and blues. So when you think about Willie Mitchell Studios, which is off of Lauderdale, when you think about Stacks, of course, and Soulsville, um, there's that aspect of South Memphis, too, that really, um, I think, it, it impacts the culture of the area. So that's part of like our, our cultural history. Mm. Um, I, I like working in South Memphis because of that aspect, too. Like There is that rich cultural history that... A lot of the older adults who've spent a lot of time in the area, they are familiar with that. And they, you know, still have those active memories of the South Memphis area. Um, But also with a lot of the young people, too, like thinking about like Stax Academy, um, Soulsville, thinking about Slim House Collaboratory. Like that's still, I think, an active aspect of the cultural history. Um, And I think there is definitely like a new generation that is taking that on. When you think about the way that South Memphis is portrayed in the media and in the news um, is one of the poorest zip codes in Shelby County. Um, it is one of the zip codes with um, just all with the most health issues and, and, and health problems. Like you, a lot of times when you look at different health maps for things like hypertension or diabetes or, you know, different chronic illnesses, you'll see 38106 listed high up um, in that. So, so there, I think it's, it's, it's a area with a complicated history. 
Um, but it's, it's a history that mirrors other neighborhoods in Memphis, like, like parts of North Memphis, like parts of Frazier as well. Um, and that's why our work primarily focuses on neighborhoods that have been historically disadvantaged. Um, they primarily focus on areas and, and, and people that are, you know, people that look like you and me, people who are black and they've been overlooked for different things, areas that historically have been um, affected by different policies like redlining, you know, things like that, that have really affected not only the historical aspect of the community, but as as we've gone throughout the years, those policies have still affected the people to today. So I, it's a it's a definitely a lot to think about. I appreciate the work because I have that connection to South Memphis um, because of my family, my friends, my loved ones. It feels like home to me. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really blessed that I get to work in South Memphis and in North Memphis and Frazier because of that. Like, it feels familiar. And when I'm able to talk to and interact with community members, I'm able to have that sort of connection because they were, they remind me of, of, of people I know and people mm. I love. So I don't know if you're the perfect person to talk, but you're dang near close. <laughs> um, I am so curious about the change in Memphis, um, I guess just moving forward, it seems like a lot of people love the history of Memphis and they're just like, oh, let's let's keep it like this. But I don't think that's the way it should be. And that's just me. That's Jackson Henderson from Oneonta, Alabama. Um, if if people want to keep Memphis the way it is, sure. But to me, that's that doesn't show progress. Like if I understand about being excited about um, history yeah. and, you know, where you've been. Yeah. But at some point, if you want your city to do better, you've got to do better. Yeah. You, you have to progress. Agreed. So how do you how do you think about Memphis as far as like yeah, celebrating your past, but still progressing for a better future? I think... I, I agree with you. I think our past for sure is one that needs to be celebrated and acknowledged because we have such a rich history in, in the city. Um, I agree, though, in that there definitely needs to be a lot of change and progression to make Memphis a city that is comfortable um, and a city that is home to all the citizens. I don't, I, I'm trying to think of like the best way to say that. Like, I think right now we have a Memphis that works for some people and it sort of overlooks a lot of other people and the circumstances that they experience and the conditions that they experience. And because for so long things have been the way they are, yeah, it feels easy to just keep going without, um, utilizing, I would say, like radical approaches to sort of change things. Like I, I, I find it really uncomfortable that Memphis is like a poor city mm. and that we've been poor for so long and it's just a thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm with you in that I feel like we need progress to really change things. I don't understand why there are certain things in place and why, you know, we haven't done a better job as a city, I'll say that, um, to make to make Memphis a city that is comfortable for all, a city where all people can flourish. Mm. Um, 
to me, Memphis is really unique. Like the South overall is unique in that we have such a, a high number of like black people in yeah, the yeah. South. Like the South is black. Yeah. Memphis is black. Yeah. Um, so I find it a problem that we are a city of black people and we watch each other struggle and mm-hmm. deal with with things that, you know, we could use policies and and, and different things to really just change the lived experiences. To me, I, I think we 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 have a lot to to work on so that so that we can progress yeah. in the city. And I'm the type of person, let's just go ahead and get the elephant out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> Every, everybody's terrified. Yeah. Everybody in Memphis is terrified of Memphis turning into Nashville. Yes. And they're afraid of true. black Memphis becoming white Memphis. Hmm. And I think that that sounds like a bad thing, but at the same time, you know, a lot of black people accuse white people of being culture vultures, mm-hmm. but what's wrong with black people being culture vultures? Like, why can't we steal white people's ideas <laughs> <laughs> and just turn it into our own ideas? You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's how you do business? All right, cool. We got it. All right, now we know what to do. Thanks. Thanks for letting us steal that. So, you I, know what I mean? I, I get where you're coming from. I understand where you're coming from. Um, I think it's, it, it's so interesting because I... Yes, I, I do know what you're talking about yeah. as far as like Memphis becoming Nashville. But then from my perspective, I'm like, how? How how can we become Nashville? <laughs> like I don't even see how yeah. it would be it would be possible for us to kind of have like the same trajectory that they're having. I think to me, I can see us like I, I, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. That's one that I can see like the trajectory being similar. Mm-hmm. Um but I've heard similar sort of sort of fears, lots of fears about like gentrification yeah, yeah. in different neighborhoods um, in the city, and I, I don't know. I I have thoughts. I have thoughts. Um, well, it started with well, from my point of view, mm-hmm. um, it started with that some company in Nashville bought like some um, building or arena here in Memphis. Mm-hmm. I, for, I forgot the name of it, but. Um, Everybody's like, oh no, you know, they're about to start, you know, the the venues, like the the events. Yeah. yeah. All the events were gonna, you know, not be Memphis events. Mm-hmm. And um, I always talk about Michael Butler Jr. He's always got an opinion. <laughs> but uh, Michael Butler Jr. posted on might have been like Twitter and Facebook or whatever. But it was the events for the Bill Street Festival. Oh yeah, the Bill Street Music Festival. And he was like, All right, who's gonna say it? That's what he posted. And he posted all the people that were, were performing. performing. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, all right, who's going to say it? Because <laughs> it was, it, it didn't look like a Memphis type who, festival. Who did he have issue with? The people that were not traditional Memphis type people. If really? That makes yeah. I, I've been to, I, to me, the Bill Street Music Fest lineup for this year looks similar to the lineups from previous years. Mm. Uh, but that's just me. It, it, it looked very similar to, to like when I've been to B- Music Fest before, like the lineup that I saw. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, for me, I think uh, Music Fest has always had like a diverse lineup in that you see like rap artists, but also like a lot of rock artists and like some pop artists. And mm. I don't know. To me, the, the lineup looked pretty similar. So... You know, like what? What do you think the agenda of these events should be? Like, should they be pushing for like something that 
appeases Memphis people or should they be pushing for, you know, let's gather as many people as possible, you know, let's get some uh, Latino music in here and some Cuban music, you know, stuff like that. Like, should they be trying to please everybody or, you know, please the people in Memphis? I, I think that's an interesting question. I can see where they're coming from it as far as like a business perspective, like trying to get the artist that will sell and appeal to people from just like not, not, not from Memphis. Yeah, I'll just yeah. say it like that. Like when I've been to Music Fest before, I remember meeting a lot of people who weren't um, from the Memphis area. But people were coming out of town yeah. to. A lot to. of people were like coming out of town from Arkansas, just like from neighboring states and cities to see Music Fest. So if that's, I guess, like the demographic that they're traditionally trying to get. And if they want to continue, I guess, to make money, then I could see them sort of catering to those, you know, to the to those guests and those patrons kind of coming from out of the city. But at the same time, I think, too, Music Fest does a good job of considering like what Memphians like, like thinking about like Three Six Mafia, Moneybag Yo. I, I think I've been there when Moneybag Yo was performing previously, when Young Dolph performed. And the crowd, you know, black people, white people, everybody who's from Memphis loves that and mm. enjoys that. Like there's just a camaraderie from all of us when it comes to like local Memphis artists. So I think they do a good job of that as well. Like the past two times I've been there, I remember some really popular Memphis artists performing there and we were all hype about it and mm. all excited about it. And I think that was like the last day. So I would probably, I think they do a good job of like, doing a mix so bringing in some like bigger name artists like i know specifically the food fighters are coming in yeah, this yeah. year and so i can see that like appealing to you know a lot of people like one of the last times i went post malone was there and of course he brings out everybody yeah, yeah. so i can see that being really good but also like juicy j he was there when i was there the last time too because that's like a home favorite. We all love Juicy J. Yeah. So I think that, to me, I think that's ideal. A good mix that can bring people in from outside of the city. Because mm. I also know Memphis and May and Bill Street Music Fest are, are big marketing and tourist attractions like for downtown and for Memphis overall. So I know, you know, the whole Memphis and May. Like the whole May, they're bringing in a lot of people. Whether it's like Barbecue Fest. Um, the Memphis and May Festival, whether it's like Bill Street Music Fest, they're bringing in a lot of tourists around that time to generate revenue for the downtown area. Mm. So I can understand that being um, a focus of of the downtown area so they can generate that sort of revenue, especially since they're doing a lot of development down there. Um, but I, I think... Personally, I think a mix is always good because it feels good to be in the crowd and to be there, you know, with people I don't know, but we're all enjoying like music from Memphis artists. Like that's just like a really good feeling when we all, no matter who it is, you just, you just love it and you're just enjoying the moment. So I think like a mix of Memphis artists and bigger artists that can bring in, you know, outside guests is good. Do you think the works, um, thinks about just people that are like from here or do you think about like, um, I mean, a lot of your stuff is like infrastructure, right? It's not so much, um, I guess like the, like the, the festival or something like that. So, um, is there a way that the works could, I guess, incorporate, uh, things to help make everything culturally diverse and, um, something, is there a good bit of, 
Latino people here? Because I don't really see many. And like where I'm from, there's a, a good bit. And mm-hmm. like here, it just seems like it's just white and black people, and that's it. I think I, there are. Uh, Memphis is diverse. Like it depends on the sort of areas that mm-hmm. you're in. Like Binghamton is a really diverse neighborhood. Um, Sam Cooper, Summer Avenue, um, the Heights, National. Um, around that area, you see like a higher Latino population. Um, I think because so many things in America overall are just like black and white when it yeah. comes to race, we tend to think that way too as far as like Memphis. I think too because Memphis is a primarily African-American city, which you don't always see. Yeah, yeah. We think, oh, well, it's just white or black. But but there are definitely um, cultural different cultural groups and ethnic groups in the city um, in, in different areas. As far as our work with the works, we focus on... Um, communities who have been historically disadvantaged and mm-hmm. overlooked um, because a lot of times these are communities that don't have the same opportunities or don't have access um, to the same opportunities or or to the same things that other communities have access to. So that's definitely the case with 38106. That's the case with 38107 um, and, and Frazier as well. So our focus is uplifting, providing resources, providing support to communities and to people who historically have been overlooked. You mm. know, um, They haven't had those same opportunities. So we are here to assist with that sort of work and to assist with that sort of help. Do you think that... Um like those communities, when when they get that kind of help, can it be like a like a I'm I'm just making up this phrase right now, like crock pot communities where you just set them and forget them, or do they constantly need like some sort of um, like rejuvenation? Like, all right, we we had this huge rollout for you in 2022, we're gonna revisit you in 2023 and see how you're doing, or is it like, all right, we can just put people here. And just put them in place to help you keep running. And then now we're going to go over to Binghampton, just help Binghampton out. And now we're going to go to uh, Frazier and just help Frazier. Yeah. Or- I, I get what you're saying, like a band-aid. Like, can you just say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And then we're just going to go to do something else. I I personally don't think that's um, the sort of, the ideal sort of way to provide mm. support to communities that have been overlooked in the past what what we do, what I believe in, is um, a, a sort of consorted effort of assistance. So, like thinking about our work in South Memphis, like we have affordable housing, um, but we also have food access. So it's not just like a, a a one and done sort of thing. It's like okay, you know, we're we're looking at the trends, we're looking at the needs, we're looking at the ways in which people have been overlooked, and we're providing that. Mm. You know, not sort of like oh, we're going to do this one project and we're piecing out like we're we're providing additional support and additional assistance sort of layering almost um on what's going on and I to me that's that's what I would think would be best that's the way I've learned to do things and that's that's how we primarily operate it's just not like a one and done sort of thing but 
focusing and providing support in different areas. So we're, we're doing housing. We're also doing food access. We're also looking at infrastructure. Um, we're looking at overall rejuvenation. So it's, it's not just, you know, doing an affordable housing property or unit. It's also rehabilitation. It's also revitalization with the houses that are there, assisting homeowners with repairs, you know, different sort of things that they may need. So I, to me, that sort of work is what really helps to revitalize a community. Um, and, and it also helps with sort of building trust. A lot of times when you do that sort of like one and done work, people are like, oh, okay, that was nice. Now you're gone. Now, yeah. you know, I'm back to my everyday life. I'm back to my daily life. But when you're there, when you become a part of that community, when people know that they can trust you, when people know that they can come to you um, as an advocate or they can come to you when something's wrong, that builds trust, that builds relationship, and overall that builds community. So I, I think that's primarily how, how we do things and how things should be done. Um, do you feel like you're getting enough support through like um, the city of Memphis and, and outside uh, sources like um, people in, in politics and uh, Congress, you know, Senate members, stuff like that. Do you think the these areas get enough, but is just not the right support, or is it like, yeah, they're not getting the support they need? I think for sure we could use as much support as we can get, yeah. and I say that for like the city overall, just Memphis, like we could use as much support as we can get. Um, I think overall the South has been overlooked. Mm -hmm. So I think like regionalism is just a big thing. So us in the South overall, we can get as much support as yeah, we yeah. need. Um, I think Memphis as a part of West Tennessee has been overlooked. Um, so I think Memphis and West Tennessee overall can get as much support as, as, as we need. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know that one. I, I won't answer explicitly for mm. obvious reasons, but but I, I I think the South overall and and Memphis for sure. Um, I think Nashville is a great example of what can happen when you know you have support and when yeah. you also have legislators that can advocate for you and and bring great things in. You know, like looking at the development in Nashville, looking at the fact. That, you know, Nashville is now competitive when it comes to like tech jobs and all, you know, all these companies there considering Nashville. Like it would be great if if the same sort of support would come to like a city like Memphis. Like I, I think, you know, we would we would love that sort of support. Like I think definitely um, having legislators who can advocate who can bring, you know, different things to the table and to the city helps. Like looking at Nashville's growth, I love it for Nashville. I love going to visit Nashville. Um, I don't, I never want Memphis to replicate Nashville because I think like the two cities have different spirits. So I, I'd like for them to keep like their respective, you know, their, mm -hmm. what makes them them. Um, and I don't want Memphis to ever lose that. But I think if we definitely had additional support, like we it would help us for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a um, like a sibling yes. relationship. Exactly. And, I mean, you want the best for your sibling, but you don't want to be just like them. Yeah. You just you just want them to do their own thing and yeah. you do your own thing and both be successful. Yes. However it happens. Um, so, But. I know you said you didn't want to really give a yes. certain answer, but why do you feel like it is that way? Like, do you feel like um, 
you know, maybe it's the people like, so I went to Blackbird studio Mm -hmm. in Nashville and beautiful studio, massive. It's like one of the best studios literally in the whole world. And, um, it's like that because certain people have came to that studio. People have put money into that studio and people have invested in it. And then there's like a million other studios that are, you know, trying to be just as good. Um, and the funny thing is Nashville has one of the dumbest, most strict laws against home studios. Mm. It's illegal to have home studios in Nashville. Illegal. Mm. They've been doing it for decades. People have been doing it for decades. And, uh, there's actually a guy, I think he actually lives in Nashville who is putting together a team to fight, um, legislation in Nashville to get rid of all of that. Wow. And they've been kind of easing down on it. But again, it's, it was kind of like the prohibition. Like yeah. people have been having home studios for forever, mm. but it's been completely illegal. Um, wow. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's amazing how music in Nashville has thrived mm. and for them to be considered a music city, but yet they've got legislation against people making music at home. Mm. So I like for that to be in Nashville blows my mind how we can't get food in Memphis. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like stuff like that. So I don't know. Like what do you feel like um what kind of things do you feel like can happen that would be like, all right, that's all we needed? Or I mean, I'm sure there's no like one thing fix all, but like, you know, do you think it's it's people? Uh, like the right people coming in Memphis and like staying in Memphis. Cause a lot of times like, you know, people get successful and they just, they just leave Memphis. Yes. So do you think it's like people staying in Memphis and supporting that? Or is you think it's legislation? Like, what do you think are some, like, I guess the, the key factors to help Memphis get over those humps? I think, um, I, I don't, I think Primarily, it's like a systemic issue. Mm. And I know like a lot of people like, you know, talk about like systemic things. Yeah. Um, now, I know it's a buzzword, but I, th- I, th- I think primarily it's systemic and it deals with historical disinvestment in an area. So like redlining specifically. So please explain redlining. Yes. I don't know that. Yeah, so, so redlining <laughs> is... Um, I'm trying to explain it like in the best way. In yeah, the, yeah. The fifth book. graders. Yes. We're all fifth graders right now. So, so basically, what redlining is is just historical disinvestment in black neighborhoods. Literally, okay. what would happen is banks would like take a map and say, "Okay, South Memphis is black. We're gonna put a red line around this, and we're not giving mortgages to people in South Memphis." Oh wow. So, you know, redlining is something that was historically done to a lot of black people throughout the United States. And, you know, it has been done to a lot of black people in Memphis as well. There are neighborhoods in which we found that this is the case. Like you won't give, you know, people in these areas had a hard time building wealth, getting mortgages, traditional things that other individuals, you know, they, they had the privilege and they were able to have that access to. So it starts with, it starts simple like that, right? So like redlining, we're not giving mortgages to people who live in these areas, but what happens is it compounds with different things. So we're talking about food access. It, 
it's grocery stores saying, you know what, we're not going to get, we're not going to place a grocery store in this area. It's not or, worth it. Right. Exactly. It's not worth it. Or we're going to take our grocery stores out. So that was the case a few years ago with a major grocery store chain who pulled both of their stores out of South Memphis at the same time. Mm. So they may say, you know what, we're not making the 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 funds or the income that we want at these stores, we're gonna shut them down. It doesn't matter that there's forty thousand, thirty thousand people who live in these neighborhoods and they need access to a grocery store. Um, so to me, I think about systemic things as as being like the major issues. And what happens is like right now we're, I would probably say in the last ten years we're talking about systems. We're talking about redlining we're talking about um historical disinvestment right so we're we're having open conversations about it only recently but these things have been going on for like 50 plus years like mm. half a century you know what um and I'm, I'm saying that to say we're only now addressing it so at some point i think like these sorts of conversations will lead to things like policy change will lead to advocate advocate work people advocating for different things i think the work that we do at the works is you know a primary factor there needs to be organizations that are in these communities doing work um, to sort of address historical disinvestment to address different systemic policies that have you know impacted people in the communities um, but for me, that's, that's what I, that's what I think of it as. I think of not necessarily as people as a problem, but the way that people have operated in the sort of systems that we have built up over time. So even though the laws may not, um, work the same, or even though the policies may not work the same, even though people in South Memphis can, can now get mortgages, um, that sort of historical disinve disinvestment has an effect to the present day, right? So that's something else that I feel like we're only now recently thinking about. The, we're connecting different things that have happened in the past to present day policies and, and present day things that we see. And, and it's really like a, almost a one-to-one -one sort of connection. Like you can look at, at redlining and look at some of the poorest neighborhoods in the city of Memphis. You can look at redlining and look at, you know, the food deserts in the city mm. where these sort of things have happened over time. And now you know, 50 years later, 60 years later, we're wondering why 3106 or, you know, North Memphis or some of these other communities are some of the poorest in, in, the, in the city yeah. and some of the poorest in the state. That sort of historical disinvestment, choosing not to invest in people in a, sort, in a certain neighborhood, choosing not to give them, you know, mortgages, choosing not to fund schools or to shut down school, different things like that can have an effect. And you know, when when we get to the present day, we wonder why these things happen. You know, I don't I don't think it's necessarily us. I think it's the policies and 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 the different ways we've kept people out of specific circles for a long time. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I, did. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. And I mean, I've heard of uh, what's the term gerrymandering. I so yes, I, yes, I, that's a. That's a big one. Too. Okay, yeah. Yes. I, I vaguely know what that is. That's kind of like redlining, but for voting. Yes, right. Ex okay. Exactly for voting and for um, yes, for like Senate seats, for congressional seats. It's it's basically the same thing, but that that purposeful sort of manipulation mm. that has impact, right? Like I I think about Mississippi and I talk about Mississippi all the time, and I think about Tennessee and Alabama too. Like we're black states. Yeah, yeah. 
But you look at the number of like black people that are voting in these states. Very little. Yes, it doesn't add up. Yeah. It doesn't add up. And 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 it's those policies having an impact and effect on people, you know? So yeah. So when when the works is um I guess evaluating these kind of situations, um you've got people who are your age people probably 15 to 20 years older than you and then people older than them. What is, I guess, the collective, the collective mindset? You know, are you all in one accord or does it seem like um, people older have a different direction? Like how, how do you able to, to come together and be like, all right, this is what we need to do because this is, this is best for the future. Right. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so I'll say this. Um, my boss, she's an anthropologist. I'm an anthropologist. Um, some of the other people we work with, they're also anthropologists. Um, and I, I point that out just to say that we, the approach we take to things is, is different. Like I, like I've, I've been out of grad school for about like four or five years, five or six years now, but I still think a, a, I still utilize and I think a lot about like a lot of the theory and a mm. lot of the stuff that we studied and and now I really see like the way that it it, it affects us and lays so so easily over like our our real world it almost feels like a map yeah. almost to like our our lives um, so I think that's one thing that kind of unites us is just our our training. Overall, like our overall training, like my boss is an anthropologist. I'm an anthropologist. We work a lot with public planners, um, urban planners, people who are like situated in um, in thought and and theory that like focuses on systems or that like thinks about systems or, or thinks about these things and how they impact the world. Like I'm an anthropologist, but my focus is on medical anthropology. Um, which is very similar to public health. So it's easy for me to talk about um, social determinants of health. It's easy for me to talk about food access or affordable housing because those are the things I've thought about for so long. And mm. I've I've studied the ways in which um, historical disinvestment and systemic racism and all these other things can impact, impact people's quality of lives. Um, so a lot of us come from those sorts of like educational and theoretical thought backgrounds and it it really helps our work um and and the way that we approach the work that we do yeah i mean there's just you know there's just so much to tackle yeah and there is it's really hard to be like okay this is what we need to do because this is what's best for memphis yeah and you know to be to even i guess uh require somebody like if the governor was like all right what do you need all right, Everything. this is a this is a this is a ten year question. Yes, yes. This is not like you know me writing you an essay. And be like, yeah. all right, we're done. Yes, like it's it's gonna take a while. So. It's, it is. It's gonna take a while. Like, and and I think the thing too, like like we've talked about, like this is this is this is stuff that's happened over time, right? Yeah. So it'll take time to sort of undo the different policies or or the disinvestment that's occurred in certain neighborhoods is definitely something that takes time, but you definitely have to make a concerted effort. Yeah. So are there there plenty of, I guess, uh, people who are interested like, you know, do people, um, if you have like an event, so I I think you said you had like, um, 
like certain events that you would do and are you getting the amount of uh, support as far as just like volunteers and stuff like that? We, um, it depends. So like some of our work is volunteer based mm. and, um, with those projects for sure, we, 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 um, get the support that we okay. need. Um, but I think in, in the nonprofit sphere, as far as like Memphis overall, like, you know, there's, there's never, there's never a thing as too much support yeah, yeah. And as far as like nonprofits in Memphis overall, like whatever, you know, somebody can do to help, I think would definitely, um, would definitely be of, of use. Do you help out with the, um, or actually who, so St. Jude does that marathon, right? Yes. Is it, is it just St. Jude or is it like other company, like nonprofits or something helping out? I'm sure they have sponsors or stuff like I that. Think, I think it's primarily St. Jude. I think it's like one of their like biggest um, fundraising. Because it's for cancer, isn't it? Yes, okay. yes, yes. So St. Jude works um, to to combat childhood cancer. So I think that's like one of their biggest like fundraising events that they do is their, their marathons. Yeah, and I think... I don't know. Maybe there should be more stuff like that, but for, you know, different nonprofits and and to be able to I guess just raise money or or put toward, you know, helping. I think I Zoe recently posted something about uh, like planting trees and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um I think more people should or more companies should be able to want to do stuff like that and then like know they're going to get the support cuz sometimes you know, you just go out on a limb like, oh, we're doing this, and then yes. you know, nobody shows up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that that kind of stuff, um, really unfortunate if you don't get the that inside-out type of support, not yeah. that outside-in, like, oh, we have to go reach out to people in Arkansas and Mississippi to, to make sure that, you know, this Memphis event happens the way it should. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, are, are you seeing other companies like The Works or – or is the works like a, a one of a kind type thing? Well, I'll I'll say this. I think um, we, you know, we are very lucky in that we don't have the issues that other nonprofits sometimes have. But for a lot of nonprofits in the city, you know, there there definitely is a focus on like trying to keep the doors open. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think for a lot of nonprofits in the city, like that can impact their ability to like do different events or focus on that. Um, especially with the coronavirus, I yeah, think that yeah. really changed things for a lot of nonprofits um, in the city. So, what is something that I guess gets you excited? You know, when you hear somebody talking about, you know, we're about to do this. Like, what what gets you excited about that kind of stuff? For me, I get excited about. I I'm. Like I said earlier, I, I love health work, mm -hmm. so that's something that's like near and dear to my heart. So I love um, just doing health work. I love hearing about different sort of health-related projects that people um, are doing throughout the city. Also, food access. I, that is something that I, I truly love, and I, I take a lot of enjoyment out of um, just doing food access work. Um, I also just love to see like young people getting involved in politics, um, advocating for voting. I think voting is is very important, and I think it's one of the biggest things when it comes to just changing the way that things are right now. Like young people have to vote, 
Um, and I, I love to see like young people fired up about voting and elections and local elections, especially because, you know, of course we all need to vote in the national elections, but what happens on the local front really affects us and our communities. Um, so that's something that I, I take a lot of enjoyment out of. I love seeing people, um, voting and just fired up about that. Like yesterday I was watching a documentary about Fannie Lou Hamer and it just really encouraged me because uh, I was learning about, uh, I think the Freedom Democratic Party. Um, I can't think of the last, it was like FDPP. I can't think of the last P, but uh, just looking at her work and just how many young people were advocating for voting rights like mm. I just thought it was amazing like young people of different backgrounds so many different backgrounds coming to Mississippi and joining like the Freedom Democratic Party to, to advocate for voting access for everybody like that to me is just amazing like the student nonviolent um, SNCC just like it, all of that to me is really 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 amazing because we are the future. Young people, of course, are the future. I know everybody says that, but we really have to treat it as if it's our future. Yeah. Um, and and we have to, to take the reins at this point. We need to be a part of politics. We need to vote. We need to advocate for the people around us to vote. Like That's something that's really important to me is making sure the people that I know are, are voting and just talking about voting whenever elections come up. Like It's important to just be a part of this. And I think a lot of times we become apathetic in that we think, well, things won't ever change. Well, a lot of times we have to be there to change things. Mm -hmm. Like, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just say that. I think, I think that's really important, just being a part of the local front, um, seeing young people just get involved with politics and advocate for voting rights and just be on the front lines. To me, that's great. Like, I just love to see young people fired up about their future and... It, you know, it's, it's our future. We have to we have to be the ones that that, you know, take over and, and, and make sure what is going on is something that it's a make sure we're creating a future we want to be a part of. Do you know who Dominic Frost is? No. Okay, so she ran for something. <laughs> it was something in, in Memphis. But um, yeah, she I actually had her on my podcast oh, a, that's a, cool. a while back. And um she was just, yeah, she actually told me a funny story that um, the woman who had held that office seat, um, I think it was like for a district, mm -hmm. and it was, I think it was like like north of Memphis. Not, I don't think it was north. It might have been north Memphis. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But um, basically, she said some woman, she was like old, like she was had been like, 70 or 80 or something like that had held that spot for a long time. And she like was supposed to retire and like Dominique like checked in with her like, yo, you're retired. Right? <laughs> and the, I think the woman was like, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not running. And then she ended up running mm. against Dominique. Wow. And she had, you know, beat Dominique out oh. and Dominique was pretty upset about it because she was like, you told me you, <laughs> you yeah. were retiring. So, I don't. I wonder if people who are in certain offices have an effect on the progress and the future because of you know Dominique sounded like she had good viewpoints yeah. and like she made sense. Like to me, that's 
That's the easiest thing you could do as a politician. Just make sense. Yeah. Don't be stupid. Yeah. Like everybody if, makes sense before they win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like as long as you don't say dumb things, like no. just doing things that just make people go, "What are you talking about?" Like just doing that can win people over. And also, you know, being simple. Like yeah. people like simple answers. When yeah. if I ask you, like. You know, what do you think about abortion? Hot topic, but give a simple answer. Don't give an answer where people are like, okay, so what do you think about abortion? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like be, being able to connect with people and, um, and be on that same wavelength yeah. is something that I think is so important. And I don't feel like a lot of people understand that. And I, again, going back to that situation, um, I was asking Dominique, I was like, do you think that um, somebody of her age is even relating to the people? Because, I mean, when you're that much older, yeah, you have tons of knowledge, yes, tons of wisdom, but there's probably so much more that you don't know yeah. because you aren't roaming the streets and you aren't like out with all the young people understanding what they're going through. And, you know, that to me, that's the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Like, that's as, true. As we saw, I would say, I, th I think more people voted in this last national election yes. than in history. Yes. And I would say, majority of it was because a lot of young people were, mm -hmm. I, I'm going to say, I think were told not to like Trump. And I would say a lot of people, um, black and or female were trying to be gung-ho for Kamala. Mm -hmm. And I think that good or bad, cool. You know what I mean? Like they went out and voted. Yeah. Whether it was for the right reason or not, they at least had some experience and, and did something about it. So again, that's that's reaching certain certain demographics and, and certain people, but um I, I just I feel like it's it's necessary for the right people to be in there and and reaching the minds of whoever. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you you can't have people making changes that aren't um capturing the minds of everybody. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. you can't have focus grouped politicians. Yes. Yes. Bec because if if you do then those same people, you know, as we said, like young people finally got out and, and voted. Yeah. That's because they started trying to capture young people. Mm -hmm. If that was right for, I, w I would say, majority of, um, you know, older white people you know, who live in certain areas probably voted for Trump. And then younger people who um, are probably black or Hispanic or whatever would vote for Biden or something. That's just... That's just facts. That's just history. But um, I, I think that when you get the right people to attract more minds instead yeah. of just like, you know, oh, we want this group. And I would say probably the Biden administration knew like, oh, we could get black people because we got Kamala, you know, running with this. So, you know, boom, we got them done. But 
I think that's a bad thing because you're just focusing on a simple, uh, like a focus group. You really should be targeting everybody. Like let's target the the most amount of people. So, you know, what, what do you think, I guess, um, is, is a good thing for, for that? You know, like, do you have a counter argument to just capturing the, as many people as possible? Or do you think, you know, Hey, if, if this is what you're running for, you know, let's, Let's just target these people and and do right by these people. I think for me, I think um, I think overall, an informed citizenry is first off most important. Yeah. So <laughs> people need facts. Right. Yeah. Right. They need information. But I also take that to mean that, <clears throat> like, to me, an informed citizenry citizen citizenry is an active citizen. Mm-hmm. So it's like. Yes, we need facts, but I think it's a part of just our existence in the United States. Like, mm-hmm. if you're a citizen, I, f- I feel like you should be active in that you should be voting, right? Yeah. Um, so, first off, that I, I think as long as we're getting young people involved in politics and active in politics, that's good, regardless of who they're voting for, first off. Yeah. Let's just get them active. Let's get them acclimated, yeah. right? Let's let's get them used to the idea that this is a part of just your existence as a citizen in this country, right? So it's like one of the few things that we're responsible for is like voting, electing our officials. Yeah. But I think it's easy for us in the United States to sort of feel like, oh, this isn't something I have to do. Like you can look at stats from other countries where the the citizenry turns out in such high numbers compared to the United States. Like people Mm. don't feel like it's a responsibility to vote here the same way they do, the same way citizens of other countries do. Um, So I say that first, like we need to get young people and people used to the idea of, hey, this is your responsibility as just a person who lives in the United States. You need to be voting. It's It's one of the few things that we can do. Like it's one of the ways in which we, you know, we make our voices heard. We can affect the laws. We can influence, hold politicians and leaders accountable. It's it's what we have to do. So I say that. Um, I think too that I, I I love when young people vote. I think they should always vote. But I think getting young people fired up about different issues that it are important to them is important. And um I think when politicians do that, they see higher turnout and mm-hmm. they see higher, you know, rates amongst young people voting. Like student loan debt is a really big one. Oh, yeah. and, <laughs> and, you, and you see like when that's a hot topic. Like young people are coming out. You can even look at like the way that Joe Biden has he pushed back student loan debt payments till May because people were were they were making their voices heard. They're saying, "Hey, like I can't pay," or "Hey, whatever, whatever the issue is." They made their voices heard up until the point that he pushed the start date back to May. Mm. Um, so I think that's to me. I think that's always important, and I think that's one of the factors. That gets a lot of young people um, to turn out when it comes to the polls is just listening to the things that they say, you know, are important to them. Climate change is a really big one. Social justice, you know, those different things, um, student loan debt, all of that, like reproductive health, 
all of that reproductive justice is all of those things are really important to young people. So I think sometimes you see candidates who may just like utilize those like hot button topics or whatever to get young people turned out to the polls and to get them to come out to the polls. And I'm okay with that initially, just because I think it's important for us to get people acclimated to voting. Like we have to vote. It's, It's crazy to me to think about the fact that people have died to vote and, some of us don't even take it seriously, you yeah. know. So, yeah, I was I was one of those people. Yeah. Like I really, yeah, no joke. Tell me, uh, tell me about it. I'm, I'm interested if you'll talk about it. I didn't vote until I had Dominique on the podcast. Really? Yeah, and it was because like she just made voting sound okay. I'll I'll say it was. Um, Gosh, what was she talking about? She was she was saying something about like um, how how much your vote just affects things. Because yeah. always my motto as a non-voter for twenty some odd years, you know, whenever I voted, um, I'm twenty nine now, mm-hmm. but um, I always thought like. My vote doesn't count. Yeah, and a lot of people which do. you know, yeah, numerous people probably yeah. think that it's like you know, what was my vote? My one vote. What does it matter? But um, when she was explaining to me on the podcast, I was like, oh, so you just need to vote for anything, yeah, just for elected officials to understand that that thing is still getting some kind of um, attention. Yeah. So, you know, if your choices are, you know, certain people, even if you know just a little bit about all of them and you like the fact that one person likes cookies over (laughs) the other person, vote for the person that you think likes cookies. And that's because that's what y'all have in common is liking cookies. Go ahead and vote for that person because now everybody knows, oh, well, we need more people who like cookies yes. to be running yes. for, yes. <laughs> for like the officials. Yes. So, and, and that also made me think about, you know, even higher, um, like the presidential elections, yeah. because the reason why Joe Biden and Donald Trump were the can- the leading candidates for Democratic and Republic parties is because nobody voted for other people. Yeah. Well, they did, but not I mean, in yeah. high enough numbers. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Nobody voted enough yes. for different people. Yes, in the primaries, yeah. And everybody wants to complain that yes. Trump was our president and Biden was, you know, the person yeah. opposing him. But it's like But but nobody vote. Yeah. It's like we that, we affect that too. Like exactly. we like I tell people all the time like when it's primary time I'm like go you have to go vote. Like I tell my friends go vote in the primaries because if you don't like this candidate this is your opportunity to choose somebody else. Exactly. Um and 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 I know a lot of people think like they we get to a point of like apathy especially when things don't go our way or you know when it feels like oh my god like what what's going on? I understand that because I felt that way too. But it's important to remember like, hey, this is the way that we make our voices heard. And a lot of times what's happening is like people are being disenfranchised. Not only that, but a lot of us are are feeling as if our voices aren't going to be heard. So we turn away and then our voices aren't heard. Um, so yeah, like voting is, is super important. And I, 
it encouraged me and I was very just like happy to see so many young people vote in the last election and I I really hope that that continues to be the trend um, because like this is literally our future and we I know a lot of young people we have a lot of opinions about what's going on like yeah, especially yeah. millennials um, but but if we have opinions and if we have our voice like this is our opportunity to make it heard like I I'm very vocal when it comes to voting, like with my family members, with my friends. Like I've told people to to go vote who, you know, have felt that their vote wouldn't have, you know, any sort of impact. I've encouraged like my friends and my family members to to do that with people they know. Like I've talked to my dad about different primary candidates and who I was voting for and the reasons that I was voting for them and, you know, causes that were really important to me and close to my heart. Um, and I championed them to him to the point that, you know, he ended up changing his primary vote for the candidate that I was considering. And I'm not saying it's important to just change, you know, somebody else's vote, but it's important to have those sorts of conversations. Let mm. people know like, hey, this really hurts me or the thought of this, you know, law going into place or whatever would really affect me. Like you have to sometimes have those conversations to to get people out to the polls or to to get people to vote, but also just just tracking the way that things are are changed or the way that that laws are put into place. Like there are laws now that are in place that we don't support, or even thinking about the law that you had about the home studio in Nashville. Like yeah. it's championing those sorts of things. It's saying like this is crazy. Like yeah, don't you want a home studio? Like let's get a group together to make this like a hot button issue. Yeah, um, it, and just like that, you can change the laws. You can put pressure on a politician. You can say, okay, you know, this is something that's important to me, going to a town hall, saying things or, or bringing up campaign issues that you don't support. Like, that's the way that you change things. You get, you get on somebody's butt, literally, to the point that they're like, all right, like, I got a lot of pressure on this. Let's, let's reconsider. Or everybody's mad about having to pay student loans in February. Let's push it back to May. So I, I think our voices are heard. We just have to get out of this habit of like thinking so little of ourselves to the point that we feel like oh well it's it's no use you yeah. know it's we shouldn't vote something you just mentioned yeah. i think is absolutely hilarious and that's ta town halls yes so um i was in the air force yes and that's where i met my wife and um she has like a bunch of pit bulls back mm -hmm. at her her parents house and um and I've always thought, you know, pit bulls are, you know, adorable dogs, yeah. but they were illegal in the city of Minot, North Dakota. Okay. Like, if you had a pit bull and the police found you, like, they could confiscate your dog. Well, um, that's sad. I love yeah. And that, and that's just the community. The yeah. community, I guess, decided none of those. Well, uh, we went to, we decided to take it upon ourselves to like fight against that that legislation, and we went to like a like a you know, town hall, city meeting, whatever, and um, where they were having the the meeting and talking about the that specific, which I don't remember what came out of it, but we went to like one or two, and I was just sitting there and just listening to all the conversations that were going on, and I was like, this is crazy because there was like. 15, 20 people there in a, and I'm not sure how many people were in the this whole city of Minot, North Dakota, but I was just like, man, there's probably 
thousands and thousands yeah. of people sitting at home complaining about things, but nobody's here. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. That's a very, very good point. Like, yeah. Our elected officials, like Steve Kahn, like just thinking about him specifically because I'm on his mailing list. I get emails about his town halls mm. all the time. It, like that's another way that like we can engage with like our leaders. And a lot of times we don't. Like we there there are avenues, not saying they're the best. Yeah. But there are avenues and sometimes we don't always utilize those avenues to make our voices heard or to say like, hey, this is something that I want to change. Like I love the fact that y'all went to the town hall because like that's the way that you can you can talk to somebody about something like writing letters. Of course, that as well. Social media, too, yeah, is, yeah. is huge now. Um, and so I, I think that's some that's another way that young people utilize um, different media media forms to our advantage is utilizing social media to push issues to politicians um, and to make sh- sure they know that this is something that is, is on our radar as you know a collective to the point that it's on their radar too. Um, and yeah. and really the thing is like so many people like cyberbullying is yeah. so prevalent and yeah. so easy because people think they know more than you know they think they know so much about a situation and but for some reason people can't do that about politics and it's because they don't know anything about what they're talking about that's true like you're you're not going to bully your neighborhood you know um congress people because you don't know what you're talking about like you can't you can't bully somebody that you you don't know what to bully them about so um yeah, you can't you can't make all these complaints and like, hey, we need we need this this and that because you're not educated enough. Yeah. So once once we I guess put that together, you know, and and have informed people able to um, you know make make these kind of uh, suggestions, and that will help you know put the pressure on you know, your, your city council members and stuff like that, because you, you don't, as crazy as it sounds, I feel like you don't want those elected officials to feel comfortable all the time. Yes. They should never feel comfortable. They should always feel like their job is on the line. (laughs) I I agree with that. I very much agree with that. Cause like you look at people who are like in the Congress for like 50 years, 30 years, like what? Yeah. You know, and then I think the even crazier part about that is like some of these people who've been in Congress for the longest time, they don't have any bills. They don't have any laws, you know, that they're that they're putting up or that they're trying to pass. Like what are yeah. you what are you doing? Taking up space. Yes. Yes, <laughs> like they shouldn't get comfortable. It's important for us to always be on like their butts. Literally. Yeah. Like I keep them working, keep them like give make them do their job. They're getting yeah. paid enough money to the point that they can do they can do a job. They can come to the town hall. I don't I don't I don't support politicians not coming to town halls. Like mm. you're getting paid. They pay for your flight home into like DC. You can come to the town hall. Yeah. 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 Being being able to um have some sort of input. Yeah. Um is 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 a difference maker because that allows Again, like the officials to know, you know, what you're actually interested in. And, you know, going back to that analogy, like if, you know, McDonald's puts out a certain sandwich and nobody buys it, then they're going to be like, oh, we probably shouldn't sell that sandwich. 
It's the same thing with voting yes. or the same thing with, you know, what's going on in your city. If you don't say anything, then they're going to take that away. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, well, they're not using it. Same thing, like, if you um, if you get, like, a park yeah. or something in your yes. area, if nobody goes to the park, they're not going to have a park there for long. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to repurpose that area. So it's, it's important, like, whether, you know, you're in support of something, making your voice heard and letting politicians know, like, hey, I'm in support of this law or I'm in support of this bill, calling in to make sure that, like, your Congress people know that you're in support of that bill. And the, and it, the opposite way as well. Like, if you're not in support of something, it's important to make your voice heard and let that be known. What, what um, I guess, areas do you feel like need the most support? As far as, like, voting or just in general? In, anything. Anything. I think climate change is a, a very, very big one mm -hmm. right now. I, th I think it's something that's like not being talked about near enough and it affects all of us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're having snowstorms in February and we're having snowstorms in March and you know, yeah, yeah. all these different things. Um, so I, to me, I think climate change is very important. I don't feel like there's enough action mm -hmm. um, going on as far as climate change. I think... Issues that deal with social justice and systemic racism, of course, are incredibly important. I think they're talked about a lot, um, but I don't always see policy change around them. The same thing with like issues as far as criminal justice, and I think criminal justice is very important too because like those are those are laws. Like we see a lot of traumatic things in the media yeah. and you know we're we're having conversations about them and we're speaking out about them but criminal justice is definitely one of those areas in which we have to vote mm. like we have to vote for like our local elected like district attorneys and, and whatnot like those are the ways in which the bigger things have like smaller scale impacts and local impacts like when we vote on those levels those can really that that can really affect like our individual lives and and the the lives of our community members um so i i would probably say that uh just like off the top i think we i think health like social determinants of health and just like health disparities also is a really big one um an issue that that needs more attention and I, I see that like uh, across the board like you look at like maternal mortality and, and black maternal mortality specifically which you know Memphis was very high in for a long time um, that's something that we should be talking about like we're talking about like black mothers and black babies dying or mm. having higher rates of morbidity or you know having lower quality of lives because of the services um, the healthcare services that they're getting when they're in the hospital. That's important for us to talk about. It's important for us um, to, to bring attention to. Um, and not, not only that, but it just like spans throughout the lives. Like we've talked about food access. So it's also that, that aspect as well, like making sure families, mothers can, can feed their kids health, healthy foods. They have access to healthy food. So it's, you know, not just that people are, are getting assistance, but it's also making sure like in their communities that there are actual grocery stores that carry, you know, healthy foods that, you know, that they can purchase. Um, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there's everything. 
<laughs> there's everything but um I'm, I'm of course like i said like i to me health health issues are very important and near and dear to my heart so i'm always championing that um as well as just like issues as far as like climate i also love parks um in general so i'm always a park advocate advocating for mo more public spaces i think public spaces that everybody can utilize is always good i think parks make people nicer um too like whenever i go to the park i, I feel like i i encounter the nicest people when i'm at the park so mm -hmm. i always feel like we just need more green spaces to to make things better what do you think about what they're doing um what's it called Seas not seaside uh, Riverside, Memphis River Parks. Yeah. I, um, I, I'm a supporter of Memphis River Parks. I, I like what they're doing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, so far we've got um, what is it? They want to do that Ferris wheel thing, and then um, I guess they want something for. Did they want something for music or something uh, down there as I well? Probably so, just because that's where like Bill Street Music Fest has been for so long. So oh, okay. I think I would, I would, you know, I would love that. I, th I love Bill Street Music Fest on the river, even though it rains all the time yeah, yeah. there. So I, I, I think that's a good idea to sort of continue that history. Um, and a lot of like the Memphis and May events are, are down on the river. So I think anything that can, you know, assure that people are going to the riverfront, everybody's enjoying the riverfront, it's accessible to, to all people, um, I support it. What, what do you, what do you think would be a, like a good idea that they, that they just don't have yet? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Cause they got that little, that little playground for, for kids and, and whatnot. Yes. Um, there's what well, they had that um the basketball courts yes yes yeah. i thought that was really cool like the pop-up courts and the yeah. skating i love all of those i i think those are are great events and those are events that i've seen in other cities yeah um and i really i really enjoy it like i was in philadelphia over the weekend and they had ice skating oh, nice. um downtown and you know i know we've done roller skating as well and i i loved it i thought it was really fun when we did it on the river so i think they're doing a great job just you know thinking of like creative innovative ideas that bring people to the river and i think an investment in the river I think it's a good idea. Like, you know, the Mississippi River is an icon. It's a mm. huge part of, you know, our cultural heritage as a city. Like, no matter where I'm at, I I can always look towards the river. Like, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm making sure, I'm, I'm using the river for directions. Like, I'm like, okay, if I'm, if I'm going <laughs> west, then I'm heading towards the river. If I'm going north, you know. Mm. So I think it's just like a huge part of like our like collective culture and our collective cultural heritage in the city. And I think it's important for us to, invest in it and i know of course like thinking business and, and economics i think for the business people downtown it, it you know it will definitely be a cultural driver so yeah i mean i mean there's just so many i guess like possibilities of what they could do and i, I don't really think you could get something wrong per se because like just just doing something is good so um you know, I'm the type of person where I I like to think about, you know, the best option. I don't like to hurry when it comes to something like so monumental, you know what I mean? Like what they do on that riverside is going to be affecting everybody who comes through Memphis because everybody's going to go, you know, they're going to go to Bill Street. Yeah. They're going to go around and find barbecue and, you know, they're going to want to check out Riverside. So, um, you know, what, whatever they do there, 
think about it first. You know, don't just rush in and be like, ah, let's just put this and that, and then let's see what happens. You know, take your time because it's already it's already been a while. You know what I mean? They've been working on that for a while, so it's not like they're in some super rush to finish. But um, you know, I think that you know, as you said, the the park thing, like just throwing up parks everywhere. You just <laughs> you can't go wrong with that, and. Um, when I think of parks, I think about uh, pinpointing like kids. You know what I mean, and and elementary schools and middle schools and high schools. Yeah, they. I don't think they get enough support because, again, going back to the health topic, yeah. I've always been a big advocate for um, schools getting better quality food. Yes, because like thinking about. The food that I got when yeah. I was in school, I'm just like, how am I alive yeah. right now? <laughs> and it's crazy too when it's like we spend eight hours a day there. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this is the food, and it, it this is the food that we're offered. But also like thinking about kids who may not get the most nutritious food at oh, home. Yeah. Like the this meal is instrumental. You yeah, know, yeah. for some for some child out there, like this meal may be the most nutritional meal they get a right? day. Yeah. So it, it's definitely important that it's nutritious for sure. Gosh, I wish I could remember this documentary. Shoot. I can't think of the name of it. It's gonna kill me. And when I figure it out I'll, I'll have to send it to you. But okay. um it was basically like I think these kids were in middle school. And it was in maybe like Kentucky or so. It was somewhere up north. I don't think it was somewhere in the south. But um, basically what happened is they had like a group. And it was a group of the elementary or middle school kids came together and like talked to maybe like um, like the governor or something. And was like, hey. This food is not yeah. <laughs> not the best yeah. food, and it and it wasn't. Again, it was the adults were helping them, but the middle school kids were leading the yes. charge. Like they were, yeah. they were the ones that were like having the speeches and 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 going to the officials and whatnot. They were the ones saying, you know, some of these kids don't their their family just don't have money, yeah. so this is the most nutritional meal they get all day. Yes. And they need actual food choices. And wherever wherever this was, like, they ended up um, getting better food. Like, yeah. um, which probably because they turned into a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> and they put the, the state official. <laughs> yeah, it, it put the pressure on them. So, um, but, yeah, like, stuff like that needs to happen yeah. countrywide. Yes. Because when you get the actual kids to speak up and to and to say something, which, you know, there aren't I would say, you know, a ton of kids who are who are able to do that, you know, make educated um, speeches to government officials and be like, hey, I I need blah 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 to be able to, you know, live a successful life and, yeah. and be able to think straight all day. Like when I get hungry, it's yeah. hard for me to do a podcast. Yeah, you need fuel. you need fuel. <laughs> yeah. Let alone like think and, and educate yeah. myself so um it's it was really cool seeing that because i'm like oh like you know they are actually making strides through these middle school kids yes. let alone adults like you who are working with a company like the works these kids were you know 
13, 12 years old. You know, I love to see it. I love to hear about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that I think as adults, we take for granted the, um, the mental power of, of children yes. because yes. they're able to do more if we allow them to. Yeah. Cause a lot of times adults will like just, you know, kids are better seen, not yes. heard yes. type thing. But if, if you educate them the way that they should, you know, you're doing nothing but helping them uh, become that educated voter by the exactly. time they're 18. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. I agree with that completely. Yeah, because when when you are able to vote, you should already have been educated. Yes. Like you shouldn't be getting the education when it's time to vote. You should you yeah. know, you should have been like, Oh man, I can't wait to vote. I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like how many how many eighteen year olds you think are out there like, Oh, can't wait to vote. I've already got my pick in mind. I, I think I think a lot of I think a lot of eighteen year olds are now. Mm. Um I don't know. I think the generation of today, I think they're very different. I mm. think they are very, very driven and they're very involved in ways that I don't think I remember like my generation being. Um, and so I, I love that for them. I love that they are like, no, this is my future. I'm going to be a part of this. Like, I, I feel like the just looking at the, the turnout for, you know, the last election shows us that there are a lot of people that are a lot of young people who are ready to be involved and engaged in different ways. And they want to make their voices heard. Um, so I, th I think so. I think there are a lot of young people that are, of course, there are some that are not. But I think what we definitely need to do, like I think about like my American government class in high school, which was, it was helpful. But I'm also like a learner. I love to learn. I, I love education. So I was, you know, taking the knowledge in. Um, but I'm sure not everybody was. But I think it's important for us to like make sure those sorts of things are helpful. They're educational. But they're uh, there are also classes that you know provide like engagement because it's, it's like fundamental information like you need to know how to vote you need to know how the government works yeah um and a, a lot of people they don't um they're you know we don't necessarily have like the the citizenry the informed citizenry that we need like even thinking about and looking at like misinformation and how people are unable to identify like, you know, inaccurate misinformation or whatnot like that, I think was another really big one, like this past election, but also I guess the 2016 election as well, like misinformation was really, really big. So to me, that that shows that we need to do a better job as far as providing information to inform our voters. Um, but I think the, the young people of today, I'm excited to see what they do because I feel like the... Gen Z and the next generation coming up, I feel like they're going to outdo us really easily. Mm. And I'm really excited about it. And that's good, right? Yes. Like for yes. people to be excited that the generation coming after you is yes. going to be better than you, you know, is yeah, like, something to be excited about. Like I've spoke to, um, I've spoken to high schoolers like once, you know, through my job and just talking to them and the questions that they asked about like the work that, that we do at the works and just different things. It just shows me that they're engaged in a different way, in a way that I don't remember being engaged. Um, and it just, it's really encouraging to see because I feel like sometimes we can look at things and, and we can get disheartened, especially when, you know, we look at politics or what's going on in the news or just 
just so many things. But that's one thing that does encourage me is looking at them and seeing how engaged they are and how impassioned they are and how like ready to hit the ground running with so much stuff and, you know, so much, so much change that they, that they really want to, um, to make happen. So what are some things that, uh, the works or you personally are, uh, looking forward to in the future for Memphis, uh, to, to see some change. I know you were talking about like, uh, like sidewalks and, and, and bike ride lanes and stuff like that. Uh, from small things to big things, what are some things you're looking forward to? Um, I think personally, um, some things, some things that I'm looking forward to definitely the next generation of political leaders in the city. Um, I keep a close eye on them and I, I am looking forward to looking to seeing the next generation political leaders rise up. Um, I think seeing some of the redevelopment that's being done in neighborhoods in the city, like Binghampton, um, seeing redevelopment that's being done in like North Memphis. I'm really excited about that because I love work, um, around affordable housing. So, you know, work that's not focused on just building like nice apartments that most of the residents in the city can, can't, can't afford. afford. Yeah. Like I love affordable housing work and, and mixed, um, development housing work. I love seeing that. I love seeing public space, um, Projects come online, so like I'm a fan of Crosstown Concourse. I think that's great, like mixed use. Like it's, of course, apartments, but it's also uh, commercial. It's also business. It's also just like a cool space where you can go hang out. You can go see shows and things like that. I am a fan of that because I, I like going somewhere. I think one of the things that like really transforms like public spaces and places is like a place that you can go hang out. Mm. Like. Course, a safe place. Yes, yes, yeah. like a safe space that you could go hang out in, but like a place that you go to and you don't leave. Like I feel like so so often so many public spaces are just not spaces that you want to stay in. Like yeah. you go to the store, but you don't go into like a clothing store and just hang out. There. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you go to a restaurant to, to hang out. That's yeah. like one of the few places, but I think it's it's great when you're creating spaces that, you know, you can use for a variety of things. Mm-hmm. You can use for art shows. You can use for like a, you know, a dance show, whatever. There are clubs, there are bars, there are restaurants, there are just places to hang out and chill. Like, I think that's great. I love to see that sort of stuff come online, especially when it's free. So it's accessible for everybody. Um, Public spaces, too. Like, I think the work that we're doing around reinvigorating a lot of public spaces and also green spaces in the city, it makes me really excited. Um, I I like going outdoors, and I like being outdoors, so I'm always a supporter of that, and that's that's what I really look forward to. Cool. Um, Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Okay. Give everybody like all your info, uh, emails if they can reach it that way or your social, all that stuff. Yes. So my name is Lindsay Pender and feel free to email me at lindsaynpender um, at gmail.com. Thank you for having me on today. Yeah, no doubt. You feel like we got everything? Did we we miss something? No, I think that was a great conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next time.